Hi, this is Jillian Walker, and you're listening to week seven of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Wade Morris. Romans chapter 13, let's go there. Romans chapter 13, we'll start in verse 11 here in just a second. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, hopefully somebody around you has one. They'd love for you to look at it with them. Romans chapter 13, we'll start uh, in verse 11. As you're kind of getting settled in there, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into this really quick tonight. God, thank you so much for your grace. Ask that as we have a chance to approach your word that you would teach us tonight to be more like you so that when we leave this campus, whether it be tonight, tomorrow, whenever it is, that, Lord, we are ready to be who you've called us to be. We want to be the spark or at least the start of revival, not only in our families and our churches, but literally in America. So please let it start with us. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. We all say to bring the adults in this, and we'll have a little bit of fun. In 1965, Rolling Stones came out with a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, Though I Try and I Try and I Try, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. In 1972, it was a title cut off of Led Zeppelin's, Led Zeppelin's album, and it was actually called The Song Remains the Same, and it was actually in response to the Rolling Stones, and they were saying, seven years later, the song remains the same, we're still trying and we're still trying and we can't find satisfaction either. It was in 1987 that a group named U2 came onto the stage and their number one song was, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And then in the end in 1993, the same song from the Rolling Stones from 1968 got remastered. It was the exact same words, we're still trying and we're still trying and we can't find satisfaction. Students. It's because true and complete satisfaction comes in Jesus alone. Do you understand that? It's when we start to get that that we start to realize that he is the only one that can quench all the thirst that we have. He's the only one that can complete this hole that we have in our heart. And when we search for him, we find that complete satisfaction. Without him, those songs will go on and on and on. It's interesting, if you ever have a, read, have a chance to read the book of Romans, students, here, here's my hope. Read it in one sitting. I mean the entire thing. It might take 18 minutes of your life to do it. But you start to find out the idea of what grace is, the idea of forgiveness, the idea of what it means to not only stand and be the church, but to truly be the church. It's a beautiful book. But then all of a sudden, you start to find out there's about seven or eight chapters on what I am going to call at least, I'm titling this, the rules and the regulations of the Christian life. And I say that in a very good way. There's too many students that I talk to that say, you know what, the Bible's just a bunch of rules, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts, and because of that, I'm going to rebel. I'm just one of those weird guys that actually wants to know how I'm supposed to be living. And it's interesting because he's going through a lot of things, technical things that the church is not only supposed to do, but how we're supposed to live. And then all of a sudden you get to the top of Romans 13, and he continues on, and he gives one more thing, and he says this, you need to live under the rules and authorities of your land. Makes sense. But all of a sudden you get down to verse 11, and it's almost like these verses kind of stick out like a sore thumb. It's almost like Paul was saying, I've been giving you a lot of stuff, but please don't forget what I'm about to tell you. And when I saw that, I thought maybe this could be a good place for us, at least for Falls Creek on this night, to end the night services. So I want to show you this. Romans chapter 13, 
starting in verse 11. He says this, and do this understanding the present time. The hours come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He said the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and in jealousy, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, students, what he's saying at the end is this. Stop trying to figure out how to make yourself happy all the time. In other words, if I were to ask the question, what is this life all about? Because we are, you know, like on this Six Flags Over Jesus ride together in church, here's the answer. Well, it's all about Jesus. That's probably what most of you would say because we're in church. But I would look back at you and say, can we be really honest for a second? It really is kind of about you, right? Well, no, no, wait, I promise this life is really all about Jesus. And I've traveled and spoken to students enough to realize this. It really is about the kind of clothes you want to wear, regardless of what the rules are. We know that at Falls Creek every year. It really is about the kind of people you want to date, regardless of what the Bible says most of the time. Hey, for students, you get to become an adult, and all of a sudden your mind shifts, and it's all about the neighborhood I want to live in, the house I want to buy, the school system I think my kids need to go in. The idea of what Paul is trying to get our attention with is we spend way too much time trying to figure out how to fulfill our own souls and make ourselves happy that we've forgotten that Jesus is the only one that can complete all that stuff. When I started to see that, I thought, well, maybe if we had a chance to just see what Paul is saying, it's so important that he's trying to remind us of some things. And when I saw that, I thought, if we had a chance to truly grab on to Paul's passion tonight and to understand it and to live it, maybe we can start the revival we all want to see right now. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just follow me like this. When you look at Romans 13, 11 through 14, several things stick out. But if you want to ultimately say, God, I'm ready to be who you called me to be. I'm ready to be part of the revival. He says, number one, then you got to wake up. you got to wake up. And he says it in an interesting way. He says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you, for us, to wake up from our slumber and listen to his phrasing. Because the time of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Hey, listen, that sounds weird. The time of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. There's one thing I know and that you know. You never get closer to the day of your salvation than the day of your salvation. Your entire life is moving away from that day. And I remember reading this thinking, well, I know the Bible's right all the time, and I kept reading it and trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden, when you do the study, you understand, Paul is writing to the church, and when he's saying, wake up from your slumber, because the time of our salvation is nearer now than we first believed, you find out he's not talking about your salvation, he's talking about our salvation. In other words, students, he's saying this, if you will wake up from your slumber and open your spiritual eyes for a second, you'll understand this, the kingdom of God is bigger than you. It's bigger than your church. It's bigger than the denomination. And he's saying if we will finally wake up from our slumber and open our spiritual eyes, you will see that the kingdom of God 
is so huge, here's where it gets fun, and God wants you to be an active part of it. But you've got to look and see what's going on. When he's talking about waking up, I think about the idea of what it means to be at camp, especially like here. Because listen, I've gone to so many cabins this week, it's unbelievable. I've seen everything from a seven-foot youth minister to like people that stab me in the neck because I pick up a bottle with my right hand. That's what Falls Creek is all about, right? Crazy stuff. But it's interesting because all kinds of games get played. And when we think of waking up, it's always a physical thing. Very seldom is it a spiritual thing. I remember being at a youth camp maybe six or seven years ago, and a buddy of mine called me and he said this, dude, I want you to come to our youth group. We're going to have about four or 500 students. We're going to be in the mountains of Tennessee. And dude, here's our goal. We are going to face-to-face share the gospel with every single person. We don't care if they've been in church their entire life. We are not going to let anyone slip through the cracks. He goes, so you're not going to have a chance to sleep when you get off stage. One by one, we are going to all these students. I said, dude, I love your idea. Let's do this thing. I remember we were about a day and a half into this retreat. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. He and his little 19-year-old intern, youth minister's intern and I were walking around. He looks at me and goes, hey, man, we're the only ones awake, so there's no one to share our faith with. Why don't we go to sleep for a couple of hours? I was like, yes. We go to this cabin we're staying in. It's kind of like mid-November, and, and I remember as we get there, there's like this little couch downstairs, this loft upstairs, and I'll still never forget Jeff, the youth minister, who's my buddy, he walks in, takes about three steps, falls on the couch, and is asleep that fast. I remember thinking, that's not fair. But I'm staying upstairs with the little intern guy, and we started to walk up the stairs. We're halfway up the stairs, and the guy started to snore already. You get up there, and we're like in a loft about 20 feet. It's an open-air loft. And so the snoring is reverberating to the ceiling back down on us. And I looked at the intern and I went, really? He goes, man, we're not going to get any sleep. He snores this loud. It's just the way it works, right? And I was like, that's fine, man. I'll I'll just read or something. And I remember sitting there and I'm staying on a single bed here. There's a nightstand like this. Little intern guy, single bed there. And I was about to pick up my book. And for whatever reason, I look on the table and there were these eight pennies. And I thought, this is interesting. And I put these pennies in my hand, and I looked at this 19-year-old intern, and I go, we're about to have the greatest time of our entire lives. He goes, what do you mean? I go, do you see him down there sleeping? Yeah. (laughs) Bro, I promise you, I can take this penny and throw it so hard. I'm going to hit the dude on the leg, and it's going to, like, hit the window. He was like, no, you can't. I said, watch this. Wham! Dude, that penny hit right there and went, shpoink! The great thing was he was still asleep. So in my mind, I'm thinking, penny number two. I take penny number two, I was like, bam, hit him in the shoulder, boom, off the fireplace. He's still snoring. I'm like, penny number three. I'm like a grown man and having the greatest time of my entire life. I get down to penny number eight, and my fun's about to run out. And I look at this intern guy, and I said, bro, I'm going to throw this penny harder than I've ever thrown anything in my entire life. And I look over there, and I'm... I'm trying to do something minor, like dislocate a kneecap or something. Like, you know, they just pop that back in. No, I'm just kidding. I take this penny, and I wound up, and here's the deal. I threw it harder than anything I've ever thrown. I'm going for his knee. Relax. I don't play in the major leagues. I take this penny, 
and I throw it. The problem was it didn't hit him in the knee. I was a little bit off. I'm not kidding. It hit him in the temple of his head right there. So it was the first and only time that the penny did not bounce. It stuck right there. It was one of the worst sounds I've ever heard. I took that penny and it was like. (laughs) And as soon as that happened, all of a sudden, he jumps up and was like, Wade Morris, where are you? As though it's always got to be my fault. The sad thing was, as a grown man, all I knew to do was to dive in the bed and act like I was asleep. Like, I'm being serious. Like, the intern guy's like, what do we do? And I'm like, stop. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. I'm a grown man. Like, I've got to take responsibility for my actions. And he's still yelling at Wade Morris. And I remember coming over, looking at him. And I said, yeah, Jeff, what do you want? I'm going to tell you what he said. It threw me off. It's going to throw you off. Wade Morris, where are you? I look over and I go, yeah, Jeff, what do you want? He looks up at me and goes, it's cold in here, isn't it? I look down and I go, what? He goes, it's cold in here. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's mid-November in the mountains, like it's brisk. I mean, what do I say? And I look at him, I go, I guess. And he goes, well, I just felt like I should tell you that. And I'm letting it process, and then it hit me. He's still asleep. Oh, I'm about to have a great time. So I started to suggest things to him, like, it is cold, isn't it? Yeah, what should we do? You see the fire burning in the fireplace? Yeah, you ought to sleep on the floor in front of the fireplace. Dude, he looked at me and goes, okay. He started to walk over. Here's the deal, I didn't care what he did. It was giving me about a three-minute window to go to sleep before he started snoring again. And I fell asleep because I was so tired. Seven in the morning, I feel something poking me in the shoulder. I look up, and it's the youth minister, and he goes, yo, man, what was I doing sleeping on top of the fireplace? And here's what I'm trying to tell you. I live a lot of parts of the year just like you do. We live in that world. We've got a joke for all kinds of, this person was snoring, we couldn't wake this person up, this person's a heavy sleeper, and here's the deal. All of that stuff truly is funny because we're talking about physically waking up, but students, watch me for a second. When Paul says what he says, to wake up from your slumber because the time of our salvation is near now than when we first believe. Students, here's what he's trying to say. In case you've forgotten, eternity is still real. Students, every single person that you and I ever meet or come in contact with our entire lives, they are going to enter eternity and go to heaven or go to hell. Here's the question. What are we going to do about that? He says, if you wake up from your slumber and you understand what's happening, then you have a chance to be a part of the remedy of all this. But then he goes further and says, it's not just about waking up, but secondly, if you're taking notes, then you got to make a choice to wise up. In other words, waking up means you see what's going on. Wising up means you start to do something about it. He says it in an interesting way. He has a play on words, and here's how he says it. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. And it's interesting. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Behave decently or live as though you're in the daytime. Live as though 
the lights are on. The sad thing about this, students, is Paul right here is begging the church to act like they're the church. Hey, man, I, I know that if you die tonight, you know you're going to heaven. That, that's great. Here's what he's saying. Could you do me a favor? Would you put aside the deeds of darkness? Could you put on the armor of light? Would you just please behave decently as though you're in the daytime? In other words, he's saying this. I know you're secure in your eternity. Could you do me a favor and act like you're secure in that for three days this week? We spend more time preaching about the church trying to be the church, not only the Bible, but even preachers today, and there should be something that clicks on in us to say, we are ready to live this. But it goes back to the play on words. Behave decently as though you're in the daytime, as though the lights are clicked on. So the idea of that is what you've heard your parents say, and you think it's cheesy, but there really is a deeper meaning to it. But here's, here's what we say. You've been there before. Uh, you know what? I can joke like that, but we don't need to tell that joke here because we're in church. Then here's what Paul is saying. Then don't ever tell that joke again as long as you live. Hey, we can act that way, but we can't act that way right now because we're in church. Then don't ever act that way again as long as you live. He's saying you and I are to live our lives as Christians as though the lights are clicked on. And you say, what does that mean? I remember doing a conference similar to this, but we had no windows in the room. It was probably about 4,000 students, no windows in this room we were in. And about three days into it, I told the guys in the media, like here, and I said, hey guys, there's going to be a point I'm going to ask you to turn the lights off in the room. I've got this illustration. They were like, no, 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 you don't understand. It will be pitch black in this room, Wade. Like, you won't be able to see your hand in front of your face. I said, dude, I know that. I've got this illustration. I believe it's going to work. When you think it's going to work, it doesn't. And I remember getting to that point in the sermon, and I go, hey, guys, click those lights off. And as soon as the lights clicked off, listen, you know what happened. Ah, don't touch me. Ah. <laughs> the reason I knew that was going to happen is I'm still a grown man. I would do that today. It sounds funny to do that. Here's the problem. But I couldn't get them quiet at all. I go, no, 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 I know it's funny. Hey, guys, I got an illustration for you. No, 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 shh. Guys, let me say something. Hey, and finally, after about three minutes, I went, hey, man, this illustration is not going to work. Can y'all get the lights back on? And it was the weirdest moment of my ministry at the time. As soon as the lights came on, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. The lights are off. Ah, don't touch me. Lights are on. I love Jesus. And I was in that moment going, what just happened in the room? And all of a sudden it hit me. Apart from you trying to be funny right now, here's the truth. Nobody ever wants to look really dumb when the lights are on. We save that stuff for when it's off. And students, here's what he's saying. There's got to be a point where you and I make a choice to live life as though the lights are on. And by the way, biblically, if you look at it real closely, when Jesus, the light of the world, comes into your life and changes you forever, you don't have the luxury to turn that light on and off at your convenience anymore. He's saying, thinking about what you're doing. You gotta wake up, you gotta see what's going on. You gotta wise up. You wanna choose to live life the way he's called you to live it. And here's the third and last thing, then you have to suit up and get ready for this thing. 
He said it like that in verse 14, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We covered the very last part of that in the beginning. It's not about you being happy, it's about you being holy, the way he wants you to be, right? But it's the first half of that verse that's the key. And it's really the key to the Christian life. But it gets weird for me to say it, so I want you to hear it right now. The key to the Christian life is for you to clothe yourself in Christ. Now, as spiritual as that sounds, I remember when I was studying, I thought, how am I going to explain and translate to a 15-year-old, much less a 50-year-old, the key to the Christian life is to clothe yourself in Christ. It just sounds odd, but it's still the key. And you say, well, what do we do with all that? I remember thinking about it, and I was like, well, there's got to be an illustration somewhere, and I was going to the Bible, and, and of course, the go-to thing in clothing yourself in Christ is, is what, Ephesians 6, the armor of God? And I thought, well, we could go there, but then it hit me for a second. That's kind of a weird illustration for most students. Why? Because most of you don't wear armor today unless you're just like super different and weird, right? But we see that sometimes as almost like a cartoon, and it's not. And you say, well, what do you mean? I, I remember there was a day I was speaking at a college and singles metro thing I was doing in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from, and we'd been going about two years, and we were going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and I remember we got to Ephesians 6, and it was my turn, go time, let's talk about the armor of God. And I was doing the best I could to make it make sense for a bunch of 25-year-olds, and I can't do any better than any other sermon I've heard, but I was going to give it a shot, right? Only idea I had that was different was there was a guy there that came that was an artist, like a drawing artist, like the stuff we saw all week long here. And I said, dude, can you do me a favor, Dale? He goes, well, I said, I need you to take a sheet of paper, draw out the armor of God, but don't put it on a person because we don't relate to that. I want you to draw each piece of the armor separately, and I just want you to put the verse next to it, and let's just watch and see what happens. He did it, and I copied it off, I don't know, five or six hundred times, however many people were going to be there. And I had a stack of them there, and I got done with my sermon. Sermon was fair. I did the best I could. But when I was done, I said this, hey, y'all know Dale. He, he did a favor for me, and he drew out the armor of God on a sheet of paper, and I'd love to give you this if you want it. So if, if you want to take one of these, just come and grab it. It's yours. Some people came up and took one of those, and some people didn't. I get that. The weird thing for me that moment was, my wife was there, and she walked up and took one. Now, now let me explain that to you. If you haven't been here, I've already said, my wife is the godliest person I've ever met in my life. I ain't making fun of her. I'm just trying to say this. It was weird for me to hurt. It's almost like she's coming up going, I support your ministry, honey. I'll take one. And it just made me feel, I was like, honey, don't do that. But she did, and that's who she is. She just wants to support me, and that's fine. Where it got even more weird is I got home about an hour after her, and I went into the restroom, and she had taken that sheet of paper and taped it on the mirror in our bathroom. It's almost like, honey, I really support you. That's when I was kind of like, was the sermon that bad? I mean, but that's what she did. It was fine. My wife is like a metronome, and when I say that, boy, she is regimented. She does the same thing every day. She has a plan. It's the way it works. It's who she is. 
it was the next day I got up to go for a run. I was training for a marathon at the time. And as I was walking out, what happens is our master bedroom, as you're walking out, you, you can kind of see in there. And as I was walking out of the house to go for a run, I, I looked. And in a peripheral vision, I saw my wife. She was dressed, but she was kind of doing her hair and stuff like that. And I saw her looking in the mirror, and she was mumbling. I couldn't tell what she was saying, didn't even try at the time, but she was like doing her hair, and she was like, it was kind of like that guy praying this morning, right? You know what I'm saying? We're like going, yeah, do it in another language, it's fun. But I looked at it, I thought it was kind of weird, but I trust my wife, no big deal, went for my run, didn't think about it again, till the next morning, same time, I'm walking by, same thing, get doing her hair, looking in the mirror, and I kind of thought maybe I should say something, but it's okay, because the problem was I was thinking, here's the problem, I'm driving her crazy now, like she's losing her mind because of me. And the third day, it happened the same time. I'm walking by, I see her doing that again. I was like, this is so unlike her. And I decided to stop, and I didn't want to like embarrass her, but I started to look. And as she was getting dressed, I just kind of stared in the mirror a little bit. I'm trying to get, girls are really good at this. They're better than guys. Do you know that moment that if you're far enough from somebody and they're talking and you can kind of hear them, but not really, if you look at their mouth close enough, there's always that moment where everything comes together and you actually can hear and see what they're saying. And I'm watching her from about 30 feet away, and all of a sudden, this is what I heard. And Lord, right now, I'm putting the helmet of salvation on because I want to remind myself of who I am in you. Lord, right now, I'm putting the breastplate of righteousness on because I know for a fact the enemy's coming against me today, and I need you to protect me. Lord, I'm putting the feet fitted of readiness on right now, and I'm begging you to put somebody in my place so that I can be able to share the gospel with them. And all of a sudden, it hit me. As my wife was getting dressed physically, she was getting dressed spiritually, and to this day, she's never separated the two. Students, we live in a day where there are preachers that will stand up here and yell at you about stuff that sometimes I think they have no place in the yelling at you about. Some of them are my friends, but they'll get up and they have their own opinions and they'll yell at people about, if you buy your clothes in this place, that's horrible. If you wear this kind of dress, you're, you're horrible. And you know what I figured out, especially when it comes to girls, because they come down on you sometimes, I understand in your mind you're trying to be comfortable. I understand in your mind you're trying to be in style. But I want to say this so that you understand where I'm coming from. In the end, I could care less where you buy your clothes. I mean, in the end, it's one thing to be appropriate. It's another thing to be in style, but students, here's all I need you to understand where I'm coming from. If you spend more time and are more concerned with how you look on the outside than who you are on the inside, you're about to miss the gospel for the rest of your entire life. Because the idea of what Paul is trying to say to all of us is, with all the problems that we're having today, with all the issues with anxiety and depression and all these things that are very, very real, he's saying, 
Stop focusing on the outer self. If you get fixed the inner self and allow Jesus to change that, and you know that's the most important thing, that's not only when revival starts in your life, it's when it starts in all of our lives. And if we will live that, it'll make all the difference in the world. That's fine. Go ahead and clap. That's fine. My hope. My hope as the band makes their way out is simply this, that you recognize that in the end, all that matters is Jesus. It's the message of the gospel, it's the message of the Bible, and it's been the message that we have responded to this entire week, and my hope is you're willing to respond to it even now. So can you just bow your heads with me just for a second? And with your heads bowed, can you just quietly, like you have every night, just stand right where you are. Just quietly stand where you are, if you don't mind. And as he has a chance to start to play, can you just look at me just, just for a second? I truly mean when I say this, it's, it's been my honor and it's always my honor to be with you guys, but this week, more than a lot of weeks I've done here, has been really special, man. I know a lot of it is to the planning, Todd and your team, all that, I know, I know planning goes into this. I also know, because it happens in Falls Creek, I've had many people email me and send me like letters saying we are praying specifically and that has a lot to do with it, man. But the key to response time and invitation time is for you to be willing to respond. And you've done that so far. Listen, it gives me joy to be able to call my daughters at night and say, this is how many people have been saved here. They are elated. We go to this little small church in Birmingham, Alabama, and they never see anything like we have a chance to see every single night here. But I, I don't know why I'm this way, but I'm one of those weird guys that doesn't want to live off of borrowed faith. I so applaud the people whose lives have been changed, but my heart goes out for those of you who are still waiting. My prayer tonight when we were backstage was for the one boy, the one man, the one girl, the one woman who is holding on tight to who you are instead of who Christ can change you to be. And I wanted to partner with the one mom and the one dad who's at home right now, watching this, literally in tears, praying to God that you will give your life to Jesus Christ, man. So just like every night, I'm gonna ask it again. If you are in this place, and you say, wait, I've been waiting. I've been listening. And maybe God's got your attention. It could have been in here. May have been out on the rec field. Could have been in the morning sessions. But maybe you're right in that place where you know something's missing. And you're ready for Jesus to be the one that completes all that and saves you. I'm begging you to come tonight. If you're one of those that's out there and say, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure if I died tonight to go to heaven. You recognize, we've said it all week, it's not enough for you to be pretty sure. Jesus didn't die for you to be pretty sure. He went to that extent where you would know what you have. And I see so many people that are right on the edge. Should I respond or not? Can I just say this to you? The Bible study I did in Birmingham, I had a girl in there for four years. Her name was Caroline. Was the leader of the youth group. And I mean, the, the girl was on. She knew all the spiritual stuff. And right after she turned 18, she looked at me in the face and said this, Hey, Wade, how can you know that if you died tonight, you go to hell? How do you know that you have that relationship? And I thought, this is kind of weird for her to ask this. But you know what I say to people all the time? You never know what's going on in somebody's heart or their life. And she looked at me. And she goes, wait, I've had conversations with my father and my youth minister because I don't remember a time that I've actually done something. She goes, wait, I remember being baptized, but I never remember giving my life to Jesus. I go, well, what did your dad say? My dad looked at me and said, oh, I remember when you did that. You were eight years old. She goes, I went to the youth ministry. He goes, I remember that just like your dad. You were eight years old. And I remember looking at her and I go, hey, listen, I love your dad. I knew him. He's a good friend. The youth minister's great. I go, can I just be honest with you just for a second? She goes, yeah. I go, in the end, it really doesn't matter what they remember. It remembers what you, it's all about what you have done. I said, honey, baptism doesn't save you. That, that's an element of you truly giving your life to Christ. And we started to talk about it for a little while, and I'll still never forget how it happened. But she looked at me and she goes, I, I need to get this right. I'm not sure what are people going to think. And you know, I'm a preacher, so I was like, who cares what they think? But I know it doesn't work like that for you sometimes. But I remember looking at her and I said, hey, Caroline, I don't know what happened to you when you were eight or nine like that. I wasn't around your life. But I just know this. I wouldn't be willing to gamble my eternity on something that somebody else remembered me doing. I just wouldn't. And I remember we were at youth camp and she started to walk away and I said, listen, you do what you want to do. I'm not going to push you into doing anything. This is your decision. She walks out, prays, comes back in, goes, wait, I'm ready to do it. I go, ready to do what? I'm ready to pray to receive Christ. And I said, are you ready? Can I, be, can I listen? She goes, yeah. And I remember we bowed our heads and nobody said a word. And I looked at her in that weird moment. You look up and go, something going on. And she looked at me and goes, well, are you going to pray? I go, well, that's not going to help you. And she looked at me and goes, well, are you supposed to lead me to the Lord? I go, I know this is going to sound really weird. You've grown up in church. You're the leader of the youth group. Lead yourself to the Lord. And she walked away. And she came back in five minutes later, and she stands on the stage in front of all these people that know her life. And she said this, I know what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say, yeah, I'm trying to get my life right. I wasn't sure about my salvation. It probably happened when I was nine or eight. But, you know, I just prayed, and I had this assurance thing. And here's what she said, I'm not going to play that game. She goes, I want you all to know, about two minutes ago, I prayed to receive Jesus and for him to save me. 
And I don't know what happened at eight or nine, but I know what just happened two minutes ago. And listen, her life was changed forever. And it was that moment that even though she had a lot of answers, you could see the difference in her. And one of the joys in my little office that I have is a picture of me baptizing that girl. Students, listen to me. I don't know what you have or what you don't have, but I do know this. If you were in this place, and maybe that's your story, maybe it's something else, but you know how God is trying to open your heart. If you're in this place and say, wait, I'm not sure if I died, didn't go to heaven. I need to give my life to Christ. I'm about to pray. And after I pray, the band's going to sing. And if that's you, start running down here and meet me up here. And we are going to celebrate what God's about to do in your life, going from death to life. Amen? Let's do it. Father, we thank you for your grace. And I ask that as we have a chance to approach you and come to you, could you do what only you can do? And that is to save souls tonight. God, I've got nothing to offer when it comes to that, but you do. So I pray for the man, woman, girl, guy, staff member, whoever it is. Lord, could you save souls tonight like you never have? We trust you to draw people to yourself. It is in Jesus Christ we pray. With heads bowed, eyes closed, as the band sings, you say, Wade, that's me. I'm not going to wait another night. I'm giving my life to Jesus tonight. Start running down this aisle right now. Come, come, let's go. Thanks for listening.